When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com True Hauntings is a Human Labs original podcast. The infamous catacombs of Paris are a series of underground tunnels that run for more than 200 miles beneath the city streets and house the bones of more than 6 million former Parisian residents. According to legends, those who dare to venture into the catacombs after midnight supposedly hear the walls talking to them, disembodied voices trying to lure adventurers farther into the tunnels, encouraging them to lose their way, never to see daylight again, and to suffer a slow and agonising death. Welcome to this episode of the True Hauntings podcast. My name is Renata Daniel. And I'm Anne Rekovich. And today we enter the Paris catacombs. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow, forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. And welcome, listeners, and hi, Anne. Hi, How are Renata. you? Oh, long time no see, girlfriend. I know. We've been busy this morning. We've been on a, a podcast. We were interviewed by Joey and Tonya Medea on the Into the Outer Realms, I do believe the podcast is called. That was a fun thing, wasn't it? Yeah, and they are so awesome. Love the way they work. I guess because they work so much like we do. <laughs> they do. I actually said to them, I sent a message afterwards saying, I felt like I've met family members 
members. Yes. Actually, probably better than family members. Yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. like-minded souls. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's worthwhile checking their podcast out. And it's called Into the Outer Realms. Into the Outer Realms. Yeah. And the next few weeks are going to be absolutely exciting. Oh, hectic. Hectic. Yes. We've got quite a bit of travel coming up, haven't we? We do. And in the midst of all of this, we have to still keep studying. I know. It's driving me batty. So you have courses that you have signed up for. I have, and I've signed up. I, I'm a courseaholic. I do tend to sign up to a lot of those ones that you can do in your own time. Mm-hmm. I'm currently doing one with the Ryan Institute with Lloyd Auerbach, I think it is, Auerbach, mm-hmm. or a buck. I don't know. Anyway, sorry, Lloyd. I'm learning a lot from that. But I've got a bit of a bee in my bonnet. Oh, okay. Yeah. There are a lot of nice little general courses online. And I think that as paranormal investigators, we need to be careful that we don't become course snobs. Now, all of us are at different levels and... I find there's some really nice little courses out there that give you some general education about a topic. And I it's a bit like books too. You can mm-hmm. read books that are general books and give you a general sense of what is going. And mm-hmm. I think that's really good. They don't give you a degree or anything that makes you a qualified individual, but they certainly do give you a good basis of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that some of our parapsychologist friends and those who are studying parapsychology get a little bit annoyed at some of these courses that call themselves diplomas. I've been doing a lot through the Centre of Excellence, and I love them. They're really good general courses. Does it make me an expert in the area? Hell no, but it might pike my interest in an area that I hadn't considered before, and it it sends me off down little rabbit holes where I I go and explore other topics. So I know that some people will poo-hoo them because they're saying, well, it's not a real diploma. And it sort of is because you do have to study, you have reading to do, you have questions to answer, and the questions are graded and you have to pass a certain mark to be able to get your diploma. But it doesn't necessarily make you an expert. It just gives you a piece of paper to say, yes, you've done a general course in this. Mm. It's And let's face it, a lot of these things can be quite expensive and some of the university courses that are available come with a bit of a hefty fee at times. Mm. Not everyone can have that spare money. Yeah. But do you wait until you have enough money and do one of those upper echelon courses Mm. or do you keep studying as much as you can? Yeah, I and reckon do, grab what you can. Yeah, do everything that you can lay your hands on and just become an information sponge. Yes. And I know with the Australian School of Ghost Hunting, when we run little courses there, we try to make it as cheap as possible Yes, so that we can give everyone the opportunity to come and learn. Again, we're not offering certificates. We're not offering any sort of qualifications, but we are just sharing knowledge. And so I think all of us should be encouraging everyone to go and study at the level that they're comfortable to do instead of standing in judgment saying, well, your course isn't good enough compared to what I've done. (laughs) My course is better than your course. My course is better than your course. (laughs) Yeah. So that's my little bee in my bonnet at the moment. Hashtag read a book. (laughs) (laughs) But let's go deep down into 
the darkness of the catacombs. The flickering candlelight illuminated the puffs of breath expelled by his heavy lungs. The young soldier's chest rose and fell rapidly, partly from fear, partly from excitement. The fear was the result of the hundreds of bare eye sockets staring at him from the walls surrounding the tunnel. The catacombs of Paris were certainly no place for the faint-hearted. Luckily, the man's eagerness to complete his task dampened his uneasiness. This reconnaissance mission was a voluntary position. The man thought back with pride as he recalled the moment his captain asked for someone to step forward and accept the job. He had been the only one brave enough to volunteer. Not that he blamed his fellow soldiers. Navigating the bone-filled maze was a dangerous endeavour in itself. Actively monitoring members of the French resistance within them made the task near suicidal. A sudden crunch from underfoot caused the man to startle. Stupid French, he mumbled under his breath. He checked the crudely drawn map grasped within his left hand. Squinting in the gloom, he tried to ascertain his exact position. He'd been walking for hours now, following the lines that represented the correct path through the tunnels. Before him, the route split. One tunnel to the left, one tunnel to the right. This particular divergence was not on the map. He stood for a moment, hesitating. He could either waste time trying to retrace his steps, or he could choose a certain direction and continue on. He looked for some sort of sign of the correct direction, but only the aged bones of Paris greeted his searching gaze. He heard a whisper then, coming from the right-hand tunnel. It was faint, but in the surrounding silence, it was unmistakable. The man took the right passage. He walked for what seemed like miles, and yet the darkness continued to stretch endlessly before him. Fear began to overtake his excitement then, and now, unsure of his path... He turned around to go back the way he came. Again he walked, much longer this time, but only pitch blackness lay ahead. Surely he should have reached the fork in the tunnel by now. He walked faster as his candle, the only source of light he had, began to splutter. With haste came carelessness. He tripped and fell over a discarded femur. As he hit the floor, the candle fell from his hand. Just before the light went out, he caught a glimpse of the skulls that surrounded him. He could swear they were grinning. His screams lasted for hours until, at last, they too were swallowed up by the darkness and the silence. The soldier never did return to his unit. For many years he was listed as missing in action. 
until at last they declared him a casualty of war. Like many others, his resting place was unknown. He entered the catacombs for recognition and prestige, but all he found there was anonymity. Well, I hope you enjoyed that soundscape today. That actually came from Reddit, believe it or not, and it's called What He Found in the Catacombs, and it was posted by The Curious Dead Cat. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a great title? It was an awesome story, and I can only imagine what it would be like to going into the darkness there with a candlelight or a torch and having the torch flash over all of those skulls and all of those bones and Mm -hmm. all of those creepy dark corners with things staring and glaring at you. It sounds so exciting. I know. I I can't wait. I need to go. (laughs) I need to go if it's just to occasionally pop my head out of a hole and grab a croissant (laughs) and some brie. Yeah. It's one of those really intriguing and exciting places and part of you says I really want to be there and the other part says hell no <laughs> I don't want to be down there at all I, I kind of felt the same thing when I went down below Enbra oh the vaults into the Enbra vaults mm. there was part of me that was just so intrigued and I did the whole Mary King's Close walk mm-hmm. which we're going to have to do as well That's yes, an, please. another episode uh, but it's intriguing intriguing because it takes you into a time and a space where people lived and existed and you in your mind you go I can't even fathom what that would be like. These catacombs here just have a different story to tell about the history, which I'm going to go into. But yeah, um, the numbers, one of those amazing things. The numbers blow my mind mm. of the the skeletons that are in these catacombs or catacombs. What do you want to call them? But yeah, it's a fascinating story. Mm. So let me start on a little bit of the history. So I just want to fill you in a little bit. I mean, in the end, what we have is we have a big hole in the ground with lots and lots of bones in it. Well done, it's the end. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you very much. See you later. <laughs> Back to you. But we're going to, let's let's just dig a little bit deeper. And look, to be honest, you weren't necessarily drawn to this particular topic. I threw it at you because I liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't too keen on this. I could have waited a little bit longer. But again, it's it's like a lot of the stories we're finding is that they draw you in. Um, they may not particularly have been something of top interest, but they draw you in once you are into the story. So let's take ourselves back to the 1800s, Paris, France. Noise. And we are part of the rabble and just eking away an existence in our one set of clothes that we have, digging for anything that we can when it comes to food. We've probably got 100 kids and uh, a a roof over our head that leaks continuously, no sanitation, drinking water is hard to find, and it's just generally another lovely day in Paris. (laughs) Doesn't sound like the Paris I'm thinking of. It would not be. It would not be because they said that it all started with a smell. Ooh. That odour. A a demon fart? That that lingering odour in the air that says, hmm. Renata was here. (laughs) It's just not clear. 
clean. And I wonder for the people that lived at that time, would they have even noticed the smell? Or did you ask them? No. Next time I go back there, I will. You're a naughty person. I've got to get in quick. Mm. So we are in Paris, France during the 1800s, and the people that are living at that time are starting to get very sick. And, of course, at that stage they do not know that some diseases are airborne. Mm -hmm. And, of course, with the information that we know about the way doctors worked and, and what medical facilities looked like back then, which wasn't anything grand at all. She remembers it well. Yes, personal experience. <laughs> then you were lucky to survive any illness whatsoever. Like even a cut or a scrape. Oh, yeah. Could just get infected and could yeah. kill you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then they'd be cutting off limbs and, oh, yeah. <sighs> the good old days. So what was happening was that this smell seemed to be growing. Yeah, they couldn't escape from the smells that were actually coming out from the cemeteries. Mm. And there, there people were been, dying in their hundreds. Yeah, there, I mean, there were a lot of smells around then because there there was not a lot of washing of the bodies and, like, I mean, the living. Yes. And there'd be the cooking and the sewage. Yes. And so for this smell to permeate and dominate, that's right. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. So the worst smell was coming from a cemetery that they call the Cemetery of Innocence. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even going to attempt the French pronunciations of these names. I have purposely left them out so that I don't offend anyone. Offend anyone. <laughs> I did give it a crack, but then I thought, no, it's no, I'm not going to do it now. Mm. I need some French lessons beforehand. Maybe we'll go to France and get yeah. some directly. But anyway, civil plate, civil plate. <laughs> Uh, so this cemetery, the Cemetery of the Innocents, was in the heart of the city next to the central marketplace. Oh, goodness. Mm -hmm. yeah, it just course. gets worse and worse. Now, the Cemetery of the Innocents had originally actually been a Roman cemetery. They'd been around for a while. And the city of Paris actually grew around it. So normally a cemetery goes at the edge of a town. Mm -hmm. But Paris grows, grew so quickly that it actually built around the cemetery. So they just kept building the houses around it and sort yes. of left a hole there. Yes, so it was the oldest and the biggest cemetery of Paris. Now, when people were buried here, they were often buried in mass graves because there wasn't time to create headstones and no one had the money to pay for them anyway. So it was dig a hole, bury the person, see you later. Thank mm -hmm. you very much. Mm -hmm. Even in the harsh cold winter time. You could still smell the odour from for wow. miles around. And in the summertime, people were catching diseases just by walking past the cemetery. Ew. Oh, wow. To make things worse, the land and the water that was coursing through the cemetery that was drinking water oh, for everyone no. was becoming infected. That reminds me of Q Station where they had to move the cemetery because they realised that the water was running down the hill into the cemetery and then into their water, drinking water. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happened in Newcastle where we live, ah. where Christchurch Cathedral was built at the highest point, but the oldest cemetery in Newcastle was behind the churchyard. And when it rained, like it has been over the last few days, the water ran down the hillside and through the graves and washed 
bits and pieces of human remains oh. down into the water. Yes. Num, num, mm-hmm. num, num. So to make things worse, yes, the land and the water were becoming infected. Paris's growing population was becoming sicker and sicker, even causing death. And there was obviously just one simple reason for all of this to be happening, and that's because the cemeteries were too overcrowded now. Too many as, bodies. As you could also imagine, there is a reason for being buried eight foot underground. I thought it was six foot. Or six foot. Or whatever. Don't uh, you remember from the first time you had it done? <laughs> no, see, they had to put me in a, in a different type of grave. <laughs> didn't work. <laughs> That's see, there you go. The last one didn't work yep, either. Yep. And so you had these shallow graves, of course, everywhere, which just made things worse. So the horrible smell, and the cause of all of this grief was the decay and rotting of bodies in the cemeteries. The bodies could not be buried deep enough because they were being buried on top of old bodies. So if they dug down too deep, they would hit a body anyway. So Absolutely. That, hence the, the graves got shallower and shallower. Mm-hmm. And here is where the term for that cemetery comes from because the people that were buried there were known as the innocent ones. Right. So therefore it becomes a cemetery of the innocents and it sounds far more beautiful in French but, like I said, I'm not going to go there. Or in Italian, be innocente. That sounds Italian, but That's never what mind. I said. Just, just said in Italian. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I right. did, when I did my singing, because um, I'm a trained singer, I would do songs in Italian and I always refused French because I could not wrap my head around it. Mm-hmm. I did do French for about a year. I can say things like le tableau. It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> le tableau. <laughs> Palette vut française. <laughs> Oh, Lord, this is our last podcast. I can see it. (laughs) I can say croissant. (laughs) All right. Now, I did mention the large pits that the bodies were buried in. You know, some of them could actually fit 1,500 bodies. (gasps) 1,500? 1,500 bodies. So only when the pit was filled would another be opened. Oh, my God. So they just kept on putting bodies into open pits. So it stayed open. Yes, and when it was full, then they would cover it up and create another pit. Oh, goodness. Oh, I suppose they were acting in the only way they knew how at the mm-hmm. time. So at the time it was rumoured that the cemetery had supernatural powers that could eat up a corpse. Oh. Because if you imagine a body, bodies being put one on top of the other and the bodies underneath decaying, rotting, exploding, then you could imagine people standing there at these open pits and all of a sudden you you hear this and, and then the body on top just sinks down <gasps> below. Oh, oh that's, a, that's a horror movie. You should movie. see Renata's eyes right <laughs> now. She's so excited about this concept of standing on the pit and watching bodies explode. Oh, wow. <laughs> now you're enjoying the topic, yeah, aren't you? Now I am. Now I've gotten into it. So at the Innocence there were millions of people buried over the centuries. Millions. Millions. And some of the bodies were from the plague mm. in 1418. So over 50,000 people were buried there, get this, in a five-week period during the plague. How many people? 50,000. 50,000. Wow. 
in a five-week period. That's a thousand a week. Or ten thousand a week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, I'm here for the mathematics. <laughs> Thousand a week. Let's say the yeah. 10, 20, 30, yeah. 40, 50. Yeah. There you go. Oh, here's my fingers for it so she can count. <laughs> and hundreds more people from the Hundred Year War followed. So in 1780, the Cemetery of the Innocents was closed, but the damage had already been done. So 300, 400 years of burying in one spot. Mm. I, it's sort of hard for me to wrap my mind around it because here in Australia, we get excited when we find a headstone from the 1800s. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's so much older. Mm-hmm. So it's said that people were dying from a mysterious illness caused by bad air. Mm. All the lingering viruses that would be in the air. Yes, wear a mask. Wear a mask, yep. This would have been the sulfurous fumes coming oh, from Satan the himself. rotting bodies. Oh, it's <laughs> gag-worthy. We hear about sulfurous fumes, don't we, it's every time Satan. a demon is mentioned. But Satan come to claim them. But the smell would have been atrocious. Oh, unbelievable. I've never smelt a dead body and I don't ever want to. My dad has. Has he? He said that he saw a man floating down the river near our market town where our supermarket is. Yes. There's a drain there and he, he saw a floater down there, I think he said, and he reported it and he said the smell was just, it was sweet but sickly mm. all at the one time. And the, yeah, anyway, mm. I just thought I'd share that little memory with you all. Mm. It got so bad that in 1763 there were many reports of meat for sale at the markets rotting before your eyes. Even tapestries that were hanging at the markets changed colour when left outside for too long. This is how bad the air was. And the poor Parisians who lived near the cemeteries were affected the worst. They would be just dropping like flies. And adding to the stench. Mm Mm-hmm. So the people demanded something to be done about it, finally, finally. And on November the 9th, 1785, the Council of the State decided to do something about it. On this day, after they'd completed their research, they approached King Louis the 16th with their results. Mm-hmm. Now, Louis was probably too busy having a party and probably just flipped his hand and said, I'll do whatever. I don't care. Do something for the people. I'm busy. I'm busy (laughs) enjoying myself and building another five rooms onto my mansion. I don't like their smell. Mm. Get rid of it. So he agreed that something had to happen, of course, and they decided that the best thing to do would be to dig the bodies up and remove them from the Cemetery of the Innocents. But there was millions in there. Well, yeah. Now, Paris is built on top of limestone mm-hmm. and there were caves underneath. Mm-hmm. So out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. And they thought, let's get all the bodies dug up yep. and let's stick them down there in the limestone caves. Just like we can with uranium. Nobody yes. will know it's there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Doesn't cause any damage to anybody. Let's just hide that shit in a hole. And let's do it at night when no one Nobody. can <laughs> Dump it out in the ocean. Nobody will know. <laughs> No, no, absolutely not. So all the bodies from the surrounding graveyards in the city were also deemed 
Let, yeah, let's get rid of them as well. Imagine let's let's a, move them all. Imagine having that job. Mm-hmm. Go and dig, dig up all these corpses. Well, that came from the police lieutenant general, Alexandre Lenoir. Oh, I like it. I don't did know you, what it is. but Did it was, you, did you, yeah, did you like good, that one? That sounded good. Alexandre You faked it well. Lenoir. So, as I said, the city of Paris was built on limestone rock and a lot of the limestone was actually used in the building of the bridges and the buildings themselves and there were tons of it under the city. This limestone had been carved out to be used as mine shafts and the stone mines could reach up to nine feet tall or three metres in some parts. So this was a really great idea of where to put all of these bodies. Mm. Now, in 1777, Lieutenant General Lenoir had been in charge of the repairs of the quarry and this is where he got his big idea, let's use the quarry, because there was no risk. It wasn't going to fall down. It wasn't going to cave in and this was going to solve so many problems. So this quarry was what we now know as the Paris catacombs. And in French it is known as the Catacombe de Paris. Oh, I like that in the middle of that. That was well done. I know, (laughs) I know. The council decided that there were going to be three large spaces created to pack in the bones of the dead. Mm the largest of which just stood outside the outskirts of the city. It took another six months for the removal of the bones to start happening because the church wasn't happy about what was going on. Oh, what you know, the church stuck its big nose in yep. and said this isn't the appropriate thing to do. This is disrespectful to the dead to disturb their place of rest for eternal life. No, they, oh, okay. no, they realised oh, so that, they were going that. To, they were going to lose money from burial fees. Oh, That's, there you go. <laughs> so we're not looking after their eternal soul. We no. just want, to, want some more money. No, no. So the church thought it might be better to raise the oh. price of burial fees instead. Surely the church isn't just interested in money, Surely. Renata. And this would prevent more bodies being buried. So what were people going to do? That's just outrageous. So the church says you can't do that. Mm-hmm. We're going to raise the fees instead, mm-hmm. which means that people now can't afford to bury their dead. And they still have the problem of where, the, where the, the stench and mm-hmm. everything going on. So King Louis and the Council of State disagreed and said, no, you're following no, our no, rules. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. We are going to remove the bodies and we're going to put them wee, wee, in. Wee, 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 wee. <laughs> In the catacombs. Before the bodies could be moved into the quarry, they employed poor labourers to dig up the bodies. Oh, so that's what I said. That'd be the shittiest job ever. Oh. So it was discovered that during this time, many of the bodies that were allegedly buried were only partly decomposed. Oh. So parts of the body bodies were turning to fat which is allegedly what happens when you kind of put a body in under the ground that hasn't decomposed properly and it's sort of sealed up in the dirt. Apparently it turns to fat. Mine's already there. When soil and air can't reach the body. So this played a big role in the soil and water being infected and rotten. So these bodies could not be moved. So other bodies that were found were uh, recently I just hope deceased. No, I hope nobody's having their lunch while and they could to this. also not be moved. So this caused a problem, as only bones were allowed to be put into the quarry. 
Oh, wait for it. Oh, no, everyone, just just <laughs> put your food down. Swallow <laughs> that last mouthful. <laughs> put <laughs> your sandwiches down. <laughs> oh, no. I hope you're not eating some, oh. like, brie or cheese or oh. anything gooey and fatty. <laughs> Oh, okay. so remember I said that some of the bodies were partially being decomposed yes. or partially decomposed and some were fresh bodies. Yes. So they decided that what they would do, they would burn the bodies to get rid of the fleshy bits. Right, had a barbecue. Yeah. And they would just leave the bones. Yeah, so that was some of the things that they did. But there was this issue about getting rid of the fat that had been collected. So they scooped all of that up and put it in <laughs> vats and they turned that into soap and candles. No. <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> so you would wash yourself with the fat oh. of dead bodies. <laughs> oh, my God, who even thought of that? Who thought that this is a good idea to scoop the fat off these dead people? Jeez, oh, I'd make a hundred candles. And and that's just so wrong. It's awful. It is awful, but Well, they do say the French use everything to the animal when they're eating it, so oh dear. Yeah, look, it's that's what they did. That's what they did. That's what you made soap and candles from. You made it from fat. And geez, if they had all of those bodies, I just some of those bodies had infection. And like many of those bodies oh, had infection. Man. So while the bodies were being dug up, the priests had to bless the many tunnels and chambers and stone <gasps> mines at the quarry. They became holy candles because the priests blessed them. That's it. Just stop. stop. I'm digging a hole into the catacombs. And they also had to bless the man-made rooms. These rooms served as crypts underneath the city. This ritual of blessing the quarries began on April the 7th, 1786, a day to be marked in history, and people believed that this, and by doing this, at least that the dead would not rise and haunt them because this is the big issue about mm-hmm. people not being buried properly with rites being said over the body, that the body would be forever not at rest. So this is really for the living, this ceremony, not for the dead. It's to keep them feeling like they've done the right thing and make them feel better. Mm-hmm. Yep. I wonder whether the priests got any extra money for doing that because what they used to do is they used to transport the bodies at night, late at night, and apparently the Parisians would know this because this was going on for months and months, this parade of bones and priests every night from the old cemetery to the catacombs. And the priests would wander behind this collection of bones praying the whole way. And this this was apparently going to make it. This was apparently going to make it okay. So priests would walk with the bones to protect the people of Paris from seeing them. Okay. I don't get that. Obviously, the people of Paris are quite dumb. They're standing with their cassocks held up out to the side. (laughs) Yes. Don't look here. Don't look here. So once the bones were placed into the catacombs, they were arranged and grouped into piles. And I think this is more than anything for space. Mm -hmm. So, for example, all the skulls were placed together, all the leg bones were placed together and so on. Because it was a jumble. It was a mess. Nobody knew whose bones belonged to what. There was no gravestones, no markers. So Mm -hmm. it was just bones. Mm -hmm. And they used all of this to build the walls and the tunnels running through the quarry. And the photos are amazing. Yes. 
Now, the catacombs have the bones of over 6 million people. I'm just going to say that again. Six. Six million people. Wow. And the age of these bones crosses over 10 centuries. It took the undertakers roughly two years to move the bones, starting from 1786 and ending in 1788. And as you can imagine, the identity of the bones is not listed. So instead, a plaque was made to let visitors know which cemetery the different groups of bones came from. Yeah. Look, I think, again, that was probably done more for the living and to... How would you know? Ensure people, yeah, that they were doing the right thing. Mm. Many of the plaques are still there today. So after 1788, more bones were laid to rest in the catacombs from all the cemeteries in Paris, and by 1814, all the cemeteries in the city were empty. In 1780, there was a ban, and this stopped any new burials in the cemetery of Paris. Hi, I'm DeLon Grant. And I'm Francesca Ramsey, and together we host the podcast, Let Me Fix It. Each week, we explore something from the past, and then we pitch how to fix it for today. But forget about the past. Let's talk about the new show of the moment. DeLon, did you get a chance to watch the new Queenie trailer I sent you? How dare you send me this amazing (laughs) show that took me back to every messy breakup I've ever had. Thank God I had you through my 20s. Now, you could not pay me to go back and relive those days, but thankfully, we will be living as Queenie navigates her messy 20s. All episodes of Queenie premiere June 7th streaming on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. So, where were the bodies buried after the ban? There were several new cemeteries that were built outside of Paris. Yeah, and in the early 19th century, we have Montmartre Cemetery being built on the northern end. And two cemeteries that I'm not even going to, no, three cemeteries that I'm not even going to try and um, Cemetery one, say. two and three. Cemetery one, two and three on the outside of, or well, the other three 
I guess, areas outside and around the city of Paris. Montmartre was built below street level in a hollow of an old quarry, which is now part of the catacombs. Mm. Now, the catacombs have seen many visitors over its 100-plus years of existence, and they include Francis I, the Emperor of Austria, who visited in 1814. So he was living in Paris at the time. In 1860, Napoleon III was said to have visited the catacombs with his son. He liked to be called the Emperor of the French. So during World War II, members of the French resistance were said to have hidden inside the catacombs to hide from the Germans, but it didn't end there. Germans were also said to have hidden in small tunnels of the catacombs and they used them as bunkers. Now, over time, evidence has been found of people once living in the catacombs. Poorer families could not afford to live anywhere else, so they stayed in many of the tunnels. Now, tours started in 1867. Wow, that far back. And there are many signs and plaques displayed around the catacombs. One of the most famous can be found over one of the main archways and it says, stop, this is the empire of death. Wow. I'm waiting for a great segue to throw to me. (laughs) Yeah, no, um, I'm going to finish there. I'm going to actually finish there. I just had a little bit about the quarry to begin with, and it was really the Romans that started quarrying because, you know, we talked about the the limestone quarries under Mm. Paris. A lot of people don't know that those bloody Romans got everywhere. Bloody Romans? They were everywhere. (laughs) And, yeah, they got to Paris and they did a lot of mining underground and that's where the uh, original quarries Mm. and mine shafts came from to create the catacombs. And we're going back to AD 1180. 1180? 1180. AD? Yes. Oh, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So the, the, Not the BC. No. An um, ID. It says in 11 AD, and I'll, I'll just read this bit, Philippe Auguste became king. He was a major proponent of tunnelling to quarry in order to build ramparts to protect the city, and it was under his rule that this tunnel network was born. The quarries grew in size and complexity and produced building materials for centuries to come. Quarrying continued with reckless abandon until problems began to arise. In the 18th century, the city of Paris and the weight of its buildings continued to grow as the ground became more hollow underneath. Some buildings began to collapse and fall into the earth that was opening up to them. And so April 4th, 1777, reinforcement was placed into the tunnels and some of them were deemed dangerous. And so this is when the transition occurred. They didn't use the tunnels for any sort of quarrying or work anymore. It was let's fill them up. Right. And the best thing to do would be to fill them up from the bones and the bodies that were recovered from the old cemeteries. And they actually made artworks out of these bones because mm. they would they'd get the femurs and and stack all the one end of the bone facing outwards and then they'd have a little love heart made of bones in the middle of them all it's quite spectacular how they presented the bones of the dead mm. but let's get into whether or not it's haunted One of the books that I looked at was called Ghosts in Houses and Other Spooky Places by Daniel Hardy. And he he's saying that 
the reason why people think that the catacombs are haunted is because the dead were moved from their resting place mm-hmm. and that they're not happy. You know, six million of them, there might be one or two that weren't pleased about the fact that they were moved. And it's listed as one of the most top 10 haunted places in the world. Now, most of the ghostly things that are happening there are not seen. There's not really that much in the way of full apparitions. It's more people feeling hands pulling on their clothing or touching them, or they feel like there's someone right up on the back of them following in the dark. But of course, you turn around and there's no one there. Mm -hmm. One person reported being strangled violently Mm -hmm. by unseen hands and other people have emerged from the catacombs in a hysterical state from what they have experienced down there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I sent you a story as well about two boys that were missing in the catacombs for three days. They were aged around about 17 and this was not that long ago. People go down there and think it's going to be easy but it's pitch black Mm -hmm. and you you lose your sense of direction mm-hmm. in there. And so all it's taken is, you know, the giggling and talking and they've suddenly realised, hang on, where are we? Yes. They try to find their way back and they can't. Mm-hmm. And uh, imagine the panic attacks down there. Mm. You're in an enclosed area. You're underground. It's pitch black. Often you are with nobody else and you have six million body dead Parts, bits and pieces. Bits, pieces. There'd be more than six million bones because how many bones are yeah. in the human body? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, have you heard of the cataphiles? No. Right. So cataphiles are people who like to explore the catacombs and they regularly go down there and they explore the dark chambers of, of everything that's down there and try to map their way around. And they have a legend in the early 1990s, a group of cataphiles were down there exploring and they happened upon a video camera on the ground. Oh. Now, to their surprise, the mm-hmm. camera had footage on it. Mm-hmm. And as the group watched the footage, they heard disturbing noises. It became apparent that the man holding the video camera was lost and had no idea of how to escape. So in this video, the audience can clearly work out that the man is going mad inside the underground networks of tunnels as they were becoming more and more frantic. The video sort of ends abruptly as the man drops the camera on the ground and to this day, no one knows who this man is or if he came out alive. Now, it inspired a movie called As Above, So Below. Oh. So I'm going to have to watch that. Yes, let's find it. Let's let's check it out. I went looking for the video footage of this, and the footage that I saw... uh, (laughs) Did you hear the porn side? (laughs) (laughs) As Above, So Below. (laughs) Hang on, isn't that a a pagan thing, As Above, So Below? (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Yeah, this, this man came out of the tunnel, so I don't think that was the right video, but... Every time I went to click on the link that said this is the video footage, it'd say this video is not available. Mm-hmm. So I just can't help but wonder if maybe that wasn't another stunt for a movie. You know how they Possible, do stunts? yes. Yes. Apparently you should not enter the catacombs after midnight because that's when shit goes down. 
down. Mm-hmm. It gets real. They say if you're in the catacombs after midnight, the walls begin to speak. Mm-hmm. Disembodied voices will try to persuade you to venture deeper and deeper into the catacombs until you can't find your way out. Ooh. Now, have you heard of a lovely man called Philly Bear? No. <laughs> it sounds like a care bear, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Philly Bear? So this is back in the French Revolution. Mm-hmm. This is one of the famous tales of the catacombs. A man named Philibert Apsa, I know, I'm rolling my eyes like Italian, I can't help it, was a doorman at the Val de Grace Hospital. (laughs) I'm just going to go Australian. It's the best I can do. He was on a mission to fetch a certain liqueur from a cellar. Philibert actually ended up entering the Paris catacombs instead. So he was walking around the pitch black catacombs with a single candle and he became incredibly lost and confused. Many believe he may have had one or two many shandies. (laughs) (laughs) Just maybe he found the liqueur and helped himself. Um... And his candle blew out and then left him in complete darkness. Oh, my God. At that this point, so bad. it was virtually impossible for him to escape the profound darkness of mm. the catacombs. His body was not found until 11 years later. Oh, my goodness. When a group of cataphiles uncovered it. Now, I'm just doing my maths here. This was from the French Revolution. And the cataphiles found him. So oh, right. must they must cataphiles must have been around for a long time. <laughs> or they did a time slip. Or did a time slip. Now they were able to identify that it was Philibert because from, from what? Oh, you ready? <laughs> it wasn't a piercing. <laughs> there we go. I made a lose it. I'm happy now. He had a hospital key ringing hanging from his belt. Okay. So that's how they identified who it was because he had one of the hospital key rings. Mm-hmm. Do you know what they did with his body? What? I think this is awful. Did they put him in one of the walls? They buried him in the catacombs. Mm. I would have, if I had died down there, that'd be the last place I would want to be left. Well, I'd be dead, so it wouldn't matter, but you know. <laughs> so they've got a tombstone describing his death and apparently on the 3rd of November they, they retell his story to appease his spirit. But this is interesting. There's a game called Assassin's Creed. Have you heard of Assassin's yes, Creed? Yes, So there's Assassin's Creed Unity where in the video game, Philibert went to siphon off a glass of chartreuse liqueur being stashed beneath a convent and was caught and killed by a nun. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Oh, oh dear. No. 2017 was when the two teenagers were lost. There's 250 kilometres of winding underground passages. Mm-hmm. 250 kilometres. Mm. That's to Sydney and back again mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that was 2017. Now, 2004, there was a group of police officers who were exploring the catacombs. They were doing some sort of drill or something, Mm -hmm. so they were getting them to practice Mm -hmm. whatever it is they needed to practice. And they went into the area that's restricted to public access and they began to uncover very strange things. First, they found a PA system with pre-recorded guard dog barking noises playing. Then they found 3,000 square feet of galleries wired for phones using pirated electricity. They found a bar, a living area, 
a workshop, lounge, and even a cinema with a room to seat 20 people. Wow. Now, the cinema seats had been carved into the stones of the catacombs, and the creepiest part was they saw cameras on the ceilings recording them. Wow. So this is an area that people don't normally go into and they wouldn't be exploring. So there's been a very interesting group of people that have made their homes down there. So after they reported all of that, the police went back down the next day to investigate further. Everything had vanished. It had all gone. It had all been removed. The only thing that they found was a note saying, oh, now, shall I do this? Nechez pass, which means don't search. That's so bad. Please forgive us. Cherez? And anyone who speaks French, please. I am ignorant. I put my hand. I actually have a fear of foreign languages, having spent most of my life or more than half of my life with my husband, who's Polish, who corrects me every time I try to say something. So now I have this inbuilt fear of foreign languages. Anyway, now the other thing that happened was in 2003, there was a heat wave and People couldn't get cool, so there were tourists and locals alike scrambling down to enjoy the relative cool Mm -hmm. of the catacombs. Mm -hmm. So they were getting down there and and because it was down there, the daily temperature was 15 degrees. Mm -hmm. But one of the rumours is that there were black masses held down Mm -hmm. there Mm because that uh, dark place, of course, there's going to be. Yes, um, satanic masses. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's many urban legends about the black masses, Masonic meetings, Nazi gatherings, gang fights, serial killers. And it has also been a little bit of an inspiration for writers like Victor Hugo, Gaston Leroux and Anne Rice. Ah. Yeah. Because, you know, the vampires are going to go and hide down there where daylight doesn't touch. We also had Zach, Zach Baggins. Oh, has he been down there? He has. He did a special. It wasn't an episode of Ghost Adventures. It was sort of like a, a companion special piece where he went down into the catacombs and he didn't have, I think it was one of the boys or two of the boys with him. Did he become possessed? I don't think so. Uh, Not this time. But they said that there was something interesting happened with the cameras where they set up three cameras and then they found one of the cameras had been picked up and brought back and put on the steps as if to say, you're not allowed to film there. Ooh, okay. Mm. They did get some unexplained voices talking and a female laughing and they saw an apparition, a glowing mist-like figure moves in the tunnels away from the camera. It appears as if the figure is wearing a cloak and crouches or trips slightly (laughs) before it disappears off camera. Now, is this somebody, one of those people who are living down in the Mm. catacombs, or is this a ghostly figure? Mm -hmm. Who knows? But one of my favourite paranormal investigators is a little bit of a comedian, but he's he's very serious about his work, but he delivers it in a funny way, I suppose a bit like us, mm-hmm. is Jeff Belanger. Mm-hmm. Now, I found his book, The World's Most Haunted Places, revised edition from the secret files of ghostvillage.com. And I advise you all to get over onto ghostvillage.com and have a look at the work that Jeff does there because he does amazing work. Now, he had one of his experiences down in the catacombs where 
he saw something and it rattled him a bit because he's a little bit like us. You mm-hmm. know, we we know that a lot of things people report as paranormal is not and can be explained, but there is a small percentage of stuff that really does happen. And, mm-hmm. and when you have an experience, it does rattle you. So he is talking about his experience going into the catacombs. And I like the way he described it. Like veins beneath the flesh, you can feel the lifeblood of Paris down here. Ooh, Isn't that beautiful? That's gorgeous. So he talks about how he passed through the, the two small rooms and then enters into the catacombs. The ceiling of the tunnels is as low as six feet and as high as 12 feet. And some of it looks almost like cathedral-like in its structure. Now, the lighting is very low, but he finds that his eyes adjust quite quickly. The limestone walls are tan in colour and cool to touch. Mm-hmm. Love the way he describes things. It makes you feel like you're there with him. The fine gravel under my feet crunches with each step, and the only other sound I hear is the occasional drip, drip from somewhere in the tunnels. Right now, I'm completely alone. Parts of the ceiling collect water in an upside-down puddle, and when the water gets too heavy, it drips. And I catch a few of those cold reminders that gravity pulls everything downwards, though that I'm hopeful that won't include the millions of tons of rock above my head. (laughs) Ah, yeah. (laughs) So he winds his way down through the catacombs and hasn't seen much at all, but then he comes to that sign that says, Stop. Here is the Empire of the Dead. Due to the difference in darkness between the two rooms, I can see what is in the tunnel beyond. I step through, and as I take my first step into the ossuary of Denfet Rachero, and my eyes adjust to the change of light, I'm overwhelmed. My heart rate picks up its pace and my breathing becomes more shallow as I take in the sights all around me. In a passage no more than six to eight feet in width are stacks of human bones and skulls. At this doorway, they are stacked about four feet high. The empty skulls greet me with powerful stares. All around there is nothing but the ornate patterns of the bones and skulls as far down the tunnel as light allows me to see. Now, you have to... Think about this, walking into an environment like that. Remember we were at St. Michael's Church in Dublin Mm -hmm. and we went down and those bodies were right there. Mm -hmm. We could actually touch the Mm -hmm. skulls, not that we did, Mm -hmm. but it does put you into a state of awe Mm -hmm. and wonder that are there souls there with you? Mm -hmm. So it's going to heighten your state. Yes. As I gazed up, I saw a shadow the size of a man move from the right side of the tunnel to the left and back again. I froze. My heart started racing. Adrenaline surged. My mind quickly went through a checklist of possibilities. Did someone walk by me down here? No. Impossible. The tunnel was no more than five feet wide. You would have literally bumped into me. Is there some side tunnel or offshoot that I missed? No. I looked soon after and saw nothing but rows of bones. 
was the light low to the ground so that a little mouse could have cast a giant shadow? No, the lighting was at shoulder height and aimed downwards. Am I of sound of mind and body right now? Yes, it's mid-morning, I'm well-rested, no drugs or alcohol involved. And that's when he realises that he has just seen a ghost of the catacombs. Mm. And I like the way he thought there that he's gone through all the possibilities, Mm -hmm. he's tried to debunk everything Mm -hmm. that he can possibly think of, and that's when he had that moment that I've just seen something. Yes. And that's a great moment. So eventually he made his way back up to the surface and he saw a security guard standing there and the security guard asked not to be identified. And he said that some people go down and they're very afraid after seeing the bones. Some say they hear things, voices. So that seems to be the the type of thing that happens in the catacombs. They don't see definitive figures because Mm -hmm. it's so black and there's so low light but it's the belief of the people that if the human remains are there that the souls and the spirits must be there with them so is it fear is it our imagination is this a true haunting i think it's a combination of everything and with six million bodies as you said the likelihood of something still lingering may well still be a part of the catacombs. And if I think about the tunnels and everything that are there, sound travels in tunnels. So when they're hearing whispering, if at some stage the the tunnels are close to the road, they might be hearing someone from up on the street. Mm -hmm. They might be hearing someone from around a corner that they don't realise a corner is there. We'll have to go and check for ourselves, Renata. I think so. I think that's all there is to it. I agree there. With that many human remains, possibly there there could be lingering spirits there. There could be people who have died down there that haven't been found yet. That's true. And Philibert might still be there saying, oh, I've had one too many, get me out. <laughs> but that brings us to the end of this week's episode of True Hauntings. I hope you have enjoyed this story of the Paris catacombs and will come and join us next week. But what we'd really love you to do is to make sure you have subscribed and you have liked it. And if possible, leave a review to let us know that you've enjoyed this episode. That really helps us be able to bring you more and more content and maybe one day even go and visit these places to report back. And until next time, see see you on on the the dark dark side. side. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.annandrenata.com. True Hauntings is a part of the Human Labs Podcast Network.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.